No, I didn't actually attempt. Um, I haven't gotten to that point, I guess. The courage, the strength that it takes to be open and honest about this. Instead of just, you know, blaming myself that he's not here anymore. Uh, I was prepared to shoot myself. Um, and I called my family um, to sort of say goodbye. To be honest, I was scared reaching out for help because I was like, this could totally ruin my career. Somebody to have a more proactive approach and that he was coming to me to be that person. They found him and he committed suicide. I just started screaming. I just felt responsible. Hello, everyone. I am Tim Lawson, host and founder of the One Too Many Veteran Suicide Podcast and Project. Today's Tuesday. I'm here with another story. Today's guest is Donley Gonkey, who is an Army veteran, and he recently gave a TEDx. He recently gave a talk at a TEDx event at University of Wisconsin La Crosse. He sent me the link via Twitter. I watched it. I thought it was great. He mentioned his own suicidal episodes. And I requested that he come on the show. He was more than willing. And here we are with Don's story. Don's going to talk about the, the different phases of suicidal behavior that he feels like he's experienced. A couple episodes that he's had. And then we talk about the culture of suicide, both in the veteran space and outside the veteran space. And how, how we really need to change that and how we can do that. Here's episode 62 Let's keep talking about suicide, featuring Don Lee Gonkey. Um, my suicidal behavior has been going on, on and off, for about seven years, give or take. I've been out of the Army since about summer of 08, so it's getting ready to come into seven years since I've been out. Um, I don't know how long it's been for you, but I would imagine it's probably probably been similar mindset I'm not sure um, the it's always kind of interested me on how this this stuff just kind of pops up my first one is as you heard from the the TEDx um, talk was within less than a year had nothing to do with any of my time in service it was just one of those bad kind of weird days um, you, you you just can't go to sleep you get depressed that kind of aspect um, woke up, well, I did get back, I didn't really go to sleep, so I ended up trying to go out for coffee in the morning, because I had other stuff to do, and for whatever reason, I came to this crossing, and the idea that had been sticking kind of in my head for probably about a good two hours at that point, just kind of popped up as I got to that corner. When I got to the corner, it was just easier for me to go ahead and say, fuck it, and almost step out in front of the, the basically the biggest effing vehicle. Yeah. So I managed to be able to come back off of that. Since that time, I've had about five other what I call suicidal episodes. I range them in degree from just ideation all the way up to the, the actualization of it, the, the actual attempt. Um, I break, them, break, break it up into three stages. One is the first stage, which is ideation, just the thought. Uh, second stage is like a planning stage where you get into thinking about different options, different ways to actually go forward with this. And then the third stage is, is um, clearly the actualization. The, the first incident was um, 
pretty much just jumped from stage one to stage three. It was just kind of a, it had been there, the ideation had been there, and now all of a sudden just the opportunity was there and there was no real planning for it. It just kind of happened. Um, the other episodes that I've had, two of them were just pure ideation, so it just it's one of those things that comes back clearly every once in a while. You try to watch for it, but you can't always gauge. Um, I don't know about you, but I know that there's like certain times of the year for me when I know that the most likelihood for an episode to be triggered will come in. What are the what are those times of the year for you? Uh, for me, one is uh, two th- is um, springtime, so basically Marchish. Um, it's a kind of a anniversary of my first deployment when we did the invasion back in '03. So we're talking 12 years ago. It's like that kind of just all of the the stuff that kind of incorporated there. I don't know if that's the full reason. I just know that it happens right around that time frame. And then the second is in um, November, and that is when between my two deployments, the worst stuff kind of happened for my uh, experiences, so to speak, in the military, uh, yeah. losing people, um, kind of the you almost got walked into a like a mortar uh, attack on your post kind of thing. And then for me, November is kind of what I call my hell month just because so much stuff happened in that month between my in, during my time in the military that it just kind of – it's something I keep an eye on because I know that my mood's going to drop. So when you get into a depressive episode or you know that that's a potentiality, you know that you got to be on watch for, you know, other stuff like suicidal ideation and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's, uh, I think it's, it's – I'm almost impressed that you – that you're conscious of that. Uh, I think it's, you know, I've mentioned it a few times, both on the show and in my momentary reflections, that it's, you know, it's, it's important to be mindful of what you know is going to put you into a dark state of mind, and it's important to know, um, if you if you know, what's going to get you out of it. So what do you what do you do to, you know, to make the best of those dark months? Like, how do you, how do you battle these, these times that you know, are going to be darker for you? Uh, I try to prepare myself for the months just generally because I don't know what the specific trigger is going to be. I just know that in those months I'm probably a little bit more susceptible to anything, little things setting it off. So I try to prepare myself and try to find ways to um, keep myself busy, keep myself focused on so many other things that I don't have time to kind of let any triggers set come into play, if that makes any sense. You try to keep yourself... You try to keep yourself busy so that you're not really don't have time to focus on the possibility of letting triggers come in. It doesn't always work, but it's usually better than it. It, it keeps the stage that you might be end up going into uh, lesser, basically, because you'll you'll. Uh, my last episode actually was an ideation episode back about the beginning of March, and. I'm going through school right now, so my focus kind of had to immediately go to, well, I've got a group project, I've got a meeting, I don't have time to really think about this, let's just push this off, I'll come back and deal with it. Right now i got to get focused on doing this. So it, it was a good way to get me out of that particular episode, so to speak. Tell us about your worst episode. Uh, besides the the that first one where it was kind of the spur of the moment, where it was literally yeah. just kind of an actualization I've had two significant what I call planning episodes. 
they were really bad. One was the second year after I had gotten home. It was around the same time in the March time frame. Um, and that lasted for about a week. And it was a major planning episode. I had probably come up with about two different possible ways of taking my life from hangings, a lot of them in public places. Um, where I live, there's an issue of people getting drunk and going into the river and, and that aspect. So, you know, that had come to me. I'm not necessarily the biggest of drinkers, but at the time I was a little bit more so than I had been in my adult life. Um, to suicide by cop, which is a, a, one of those wonderful techniques you hear about every once in a while. Just so many different options that were available to me. Um, when it had lasted kind of early on in the planning stage for like over a few hours, I kind of knew that I needed to initiate kind of a, a plan at that point to make sure people kept an eye on me. So I called my three closest friends at the time and two of my brothers and my father to say, hey, call me every couple of days. I'm going through a really bad time. I need to make sure that people are kind of keeping an eye on me so that I don't do anything stupid because I knew it was that bad. What's their What's their response to that? Well, the first time you did that, how did they respond? Uh, they, my family has a lot of military um, camaraderie and input. The brothers that I have with the one that we lost in war, um, we have three brothers. I have a twin brother, an older brother, and a younger brother. And the younger brother is unfortunately six feet under, so to speak. So it's a really weird dynamic. But my uh, my older brother and my younger brother were both in the that something bad is going on. And my dad had spent some time in the army in his so they know that if I'm calling, I need to make that they need to be watchful. Uh, the friends that I had at the time, one of them was the guy that had just gotten out a couple of years previously, not too long after I did. So he knew that if I'm saying I need some support that it's best to be there. So there, there wasn't too much shock, but it was probably one of, if, if there was, they knew enough that they needed to at least keep that element down if they were going to support me in that aspect. So, so that was a pretty bad one, but I managed to get through it. It took about a week to get out of that entire episode, but having them there, just keeping an eye on me, calling me every couple of days, just saying, hey, you doing all right? Hey, let's go get some coffee, you know, that kind of, Peace. I mean, you're you're talking about a lot of things that I that I wish other people knew to do, um, and it's 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 refreshing hearing someone talk about this stuff because it's super important to identify, you know, when you're going to get into an episode, what to do while you're there, letting other people know, letting other people know, knowing that it really it's almost like a process and it's not a warning sign. You know what I mean? Right. Um, it's like, look, I'm not I'm not trying to alarm anybody. I know it's it's impossible for me to tell you that I'm going through tr problems right now without you being concerned. That's normal. Right. But it's it's good to know that I can just tell you, look, this is happening. I need to be aware of it, and then them just acknowledge it, and you can keep going with life without it being a disturbance. Because sometimes when people aren't prepared for that, their concern can start becoming overwhelming and almost disruptive of that process, if that makes sense. It makes you want to not talk at that point is what I'm hearing yeah. from you because then you don't want to be dealing with all of that that aspect of it. Exactly. Yeah. Well, sometimes it takes a while, though, and sometimes it takes an episode. The, the first episode that I talked about 
um, in that TEDx talk was my first episode, and I knew that I needed to set up a plan immediately after that because it's like, okay, I've gone through this once. I managed to make it through because it was a spur of the moment, and I managed to walk myself back. But given the propensity, like people that have uh, strokes or heart attacks, that they're more geared towards having, like, repeat episodes, suicide and mental illness is similar to that, but we don't think about it in that capacity. But sometimes you have to go through one of those episodes to know that, okay, I better start making sure that I know what I'm doing if this comes up again. So sometimes it unfortunately takes an episode to make you think about that. And that's hard to do sometimes for people. Why do you want to talk about suicide and, and military suicide specifically? Why did you want to talk about that at, at the TEDx event? Uh, part of it was I was disappointed in how it's been presented so far in, in kind of the media. Um, the last, basically for the last several years, it makes it seem like it's just our generation that's causing this. And there is some truth to that, but it's not the, the preponderance of those that are taking, the, the veterans that are taking their lives, and I wanted to actually make it so that people kind of got out of this sentiment of how it's presented so far with uh, the one statistic of 22 a day and then kind of here's how we're going to frame it off of that without enough understanding. Um, what kind of what kind of reception did you get uh, afterwards? Like what kind of, or what kind of response did you get? Pretty good so far. Um I know with people that I worked with that were that were the organizers of this thing, uh, they had a couple of them they had been walking through and they got to listen to me do this several times in terms of rehearsals. Yeah. Um, they cried, the actual, at least one of them I know actually cried the day of the actual event and they had heard me do this thing like several times. I think it finally kind of hit them how significant this issue was and sometimes it takes a while for people to really just kind of soak that in because they didn't have to do anything else but kind of make sure everything was, all the equipment was working and just watch at that point. They weren't looking for all of these other things of, okay, well, work on your tone here or work on your, your visualization or work on, you know, looking at the audience. They could just take it in at that point. Yeah, so, absolutely. So so it was. I think it managed to hit them a little bit more since they didn't have to worry about all of trying to, to coach you, so to speak, on how to be better at presenting. Um, and it surprised a lot of people. I know that, that just they had either never heard about it before, which kind of surprises me considering how often it's been in the news the last few years, or they weren't realizing that it wasn't as simple as it had been portrayed. I know when I talked to uh, the original organizer about it when I was doing my first run-through with them, it's like, I never knew all of the way that this was about how it's much more the older vets than it is the younger vets, that there's this. I just thought it was kind of how it's been presented on the news. They bring in basically what I, what I said at the beginning, the parents or the spouses of, of the, the person that had been lost. They don't necessarily bring in people that had actually been suicidal to talk about how this is bad. Or if they do, it's, it's geared with specifics towards war almost explicitly, and that's not necessarily always the case. So it's kind of, I'm trying to broaden their understanding of it. Um, and that was actually before I knew that you had done um, the podcast in this focus, which I was glad to come across, because it's, it's one of those ones is, once we get out of that, just the, the kind of the, the clinical, sterile 22-a-day thing, and we realize 
kind of the people behind it, we can actually get those stories to give it much more of a human face. So, and I, I guess because I didn't know that you had been doing this before, I figured that that needed to be brought up in, in a manner, and I felt that the TEDx vid, um, format was a good way to do that. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's a very appropriate week for, for me to have you uh, on on one too many because on Friday I'm actually going to be speaking at a TEDx event on my own um, and talking about suicide prevention, talking about how the culture around suicide prevention right now is reactive and how, you know, if we really want to prevent, it's, you know, our current culture stops suicide. It doesn't really prevent it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, um, it, it's geared towards the immediacy of the vet, not figuring out what brought that person down to where they were going so that we can exactly. fix that. It's, exactly. It's, so a lot of what I'm going to focus on is um, how we can provide each other, you know, empathy and purpose and mentorship and stuff like that to ultimately prevent suicide from 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 really ever occurring. Yeah, that's, that's good. That's good because that's always – I'm glad you're going on that one as well because that was kind of my push on that is is we're too much in the we're going to get them into a, a padded room and take away their shoelaces kind of thing. That helps them in the immediacy, which I would imagine is kind of where you're going. It doesn't help figure out what brought them to that point and then how do we keep them from going back there, you know, in the future yeah. once we've gotten past the fact that we've kept them alive for, you know, the the, the duration of their episode. Did, were, did you experience anything, uh, experience any suicidal behavior while you were in the service? No, no, I didn't. Um, okay. It, it probably just because I was so focused on trying to make sure that I was keeping up responsibilities and I was so busy with, with um, the occupation, I didn't have time to, you know. Right. So it was, it, once you get out, it, it, I guess you have more time to reflect and all of this stuff. It suddenly is one of those ones you... You have to be more cognizant of. How do you feel about the? I mean, it, you address it in your talk about it's the that the older generation actually contributes significantly to the number that we report on twenty two a day. Right. Yet, so many of this is gonna. I don't know. If people may be put off by this. It's almost. You'll you'll get it, but. We're, we're focusing on this generation at the expense of the others, kind of? Is that? Yeah, yeah, but it's not even just, like, the way it's being reported. The organizations that are being created to address, that are, like, specifically trying to address the 22 veterans a day are only focused, like, I don't see any focus anywhere else other than, like, the the Iraq and Afghanistan generation. Yeah. That's and it's it's almost appalling that they're that they're so ignorant to the actual situation that they're not even addressing the right demographic oh, yeah. that's contributing to this no, it, uh, i'm not going to say that, that's what i was struggling with there when i said no, that i wasn't sure if i wanted to say the, the organization's names but i think we can all think of yeah. a few of them right off the bat oh, yeah. and if you think about their efforts and what they're doing, it's like you're not even addressing the right demographic well not i guess not the right demographic you're not the total you're ignoring Exactly. You're yeah. ignoring a demographic that's important here. Yeah, that's that's part of the issue that I've had frustration with for a while, and I'll agree with you. I, I've had that issue with some of the, the current generation veterans organizations with regards to that. Um, it's actually one of the issues that I have, and this might sound a little callous, with the uh, the Clay Hay, the uh, Clay Hunt Save Act that was passed back in February 
Um, I have an issue with that because if you read the language on it, it does appear as though it's geared towards our generation. And it's one of those yeah. ones that even though there's no money necessarily attached anymore, which is something that was the holdup in the last congressional district, which is neither here nor there, um, it's still geared towards this generation. If you read the language, it's supposed, it talks about um, improving the ability of people that got discharged basically past 2003 uh, to get the, the, the treatment facilities and the aspects that they need. And it's like that's not the majority of the people that need the help. You're gearing it. You, you, you're you're reinforcing this presentation that's been going on for years with this issue about it seems as though it's this generation's problem solely. And, and my concern on that is that if they don't start bringing down numbers fast enough for some of these organizations, that it's going to seem like okay, there's not enough resources, there's not enough X, pick something to address this issue when really it's they're not looking at the issue in its whole. They're not yeah. looking at, like, the, the Vietnam vets and the Korean vets and the, probably a lot of people that never even went anywhere, to, to be honest, during, like, the Cold War between, like, the Vietnam War and the Gulf War and then the Gulf War and then our wars. You know, there's so much time where nothing happened. So, yeah. And they're not addressing those at all. So, Yeah, and... Uh, something that doesn't, that really, and this goes, this goes to my, um, my point on preventing suicide proactively is the, you know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of emphasis on like mental health and emotional, like, uh, you know, getting treated for PTSD, stuff like that. That's great. That's, that's clearly a service that we should have available for anybody that we decide to send to war. Right. But, you know, I've I've talked with hundreds of people, um, and many of them have been have come onto this podcast, and we hear stories of I couldn't get a job, or you know, I just I didn't know what to do in life and stuff like that, and we're not addressing those problems because I don't know I don't know if maybe they don't seem as important, or if they don't it seems like oh we should be able to fix that, it's still not being solved. Like it's still. Veterans are still having a, having a problem transitioning out of the military, finding a place in life, finding a good career, and the steps and taps are slowly improving, but it's probably not enough to, to you know to stop that trend. Right. And it's you know I, I we we assume mental health is only something that's on the couch that it doesn't necessarily have to do with relationship issues or work issues, that kind of stuff, and those actually do have an impact on an individual's mental health. Yeah, and I guess I wish I would would see organizations like, what I'll start start saying, saying, like Stop Soldier Suicide, um, and, you know, I'm mentioning them as an example for this this scenario, but I I would love to see an organization like that collaborate with, like, Hire Our Heroes. Right. And have a campaign based off of that that promotes creating purpose for a veteran for the sake of their mental and emotional health and let and let that be testament to how important it is for you know or you know and and expose that side of it too that look the guys that are killing themselves aren't the ones uh, you know, guys and girls that are killing themselves right. aren't the ones that are just coming back from combat, going crazy, you know, in the middle of the night and then blasting their head off. There's, there's, there's a lot of veterans that go through this slow 
downward spiral of just not being able to find themselves after the military. And I think, uh, in that this is, I had, um, a female on the show. She talked about her grandfather who that happened to him after his like second retirement, right? So he oh, retired yeah. from the military and then he went and had another job and he had a second retirement. And then because he was in this pension retirement, um, yeah, he didn't know what to do with himself. Yeah. yeah, and so he actually ended up feel, he felt like he started becoming a burden on the family because he was sort of always around and looking for some, something to do with people and stuff like that. And they fear that he that he took his own life because he just felt like a burden and that and on the family that he was around. And I think there's a lot of um, you know if if you think of just about how much time they have without really any real guidance on what because I'm 29 or I was well I was 20. Six when I got out of the, out of the military. Right. When I was tw- I was twenty six years old. I didn't know what to do with my life then, and I had my entire life ahead of me. Yep. Imagine what to do when you're you know when you're in your fifties or sixties, and all of a sudden it's like oh I have nothing left. I'm not obligated to do anything anymore. Now yep. I need to figure out what I want to want to do. It almost has to be just as more frustrating because your options are limited, and it uh, and we're just we're not addressing these different reasons as why veterans are taking their own life. I- I think and, part of that is because they don't they don't realize that a collaborative effort is actually necessary on all of these things. They each think that they're individual pieces of a different pie, rather sure. than saying, "Oh, these all actually have interlocking pieces that actually affect the person's ability to be healthy." Um, they're, they're looking at it as as a matter of, "Oh, it's just this, or it's just this." It's not. It's like five different things at the same time. Like you have a. a uh, my my second episode, my my second major planning episode is a kind of emblematic of that. It was an interpersonal relationship that kind of went south. Um, that wasn't intended to even be there in the first place, but it kind of went south. And then you couple that with school related issues and um, financial issues had nothing to do with war. But there's so many things that were interlocking in that that nobody wants to address because they don't think it actually has an impact on an individual's life and their mental state. You know, so I can totally see where you're going with that, with the the collaborative yeah. aspects. Exactly. Uh, Don, is there is there anything else that you wanna you wanna talk about or you want to address uh, about mental health, suicide, your own experience that we haven't touched on yet? Uh, I would say at this point, one of the things is probably where you're going with with your TEDx talk, and that's we actually need to have more conversations about kind of the multifacetedness of, of this this issue with so many different elements of life that we don't do. Uh, my challenge at the end of the TEDx talk was to basically we need to have more open conversations about this on what it means, how it's affected, what sets people off, you know, that kind of stuff, not just the – we have to kind of – I don't want to say destigmatize, but that's the best way I can explain it, having those conversations. It's like even bringing up the word – sets people off to kind of the, the panic mode to a certain spe- uh, aspect. I don't know if you've experienced this in, in your life or any of the people that have, you've done podcasts with, but it's kind of one of those ones is you mentioned, hey, I'm feeling suicidal. The, the, the reaction comes in. They get panicky, and they want to send you to a padded room, so to speak, so that you don't hurt yourself, but they don't want to talk about, well, why? What, yeah. what brought you to this? Let's see if we can work that out. I, I've had – conversations with my um, counselor at the VA, and it's one of those ones, I don't know if it's the same way at other facilities, but 
one of the things that they were looking at implementing at this point was if you even mention the word suicidal, you probably spend the rest of your time talking about how you've, do you have numbers to call, what, you know, plan to talk to people, here's my number, here's like, uh, call the Veterans Crisis Line, here's give that number. You, you will spend the whole time doing this where you're getting this whole spiel of suicide prevention and then you're going to have them taking care of their paperwork. You will never address what brought you to the point in the first place. So it's more like a coverage, uh, a CYA measure for them than it would be actually trying to help the veteran. And I don't yeah. know if that's happening at other facilities or not. I wouldn't be surprised if it was, but, you know, we, we have to be able yeah. to actually have these kind of conversations about what it is that are bringing people to these points and and not just stigmatizing them for saying that they have it and being this reactive, oh, let's get you to a place where you – you won't have any access to do anything that will kill yourself, and maybe they'll pass. So the title of this episode was Let's Keep Talking About Suicide, and I sort of feel like that was the theme of the conversation that I had with Don and hearing about his story and his inspiration to speak at the TEDx event on veteran suicide. With my TEDx event coming up this Friday, I think it really emphasizes how important it is that we all join the conversation and continue to talk about it however we feel comfortable and on what we know about it and how we understand it so that we others can know and better understand. If you enjoyed today's story, Don can be uh, found on Twitter at LastBrotherHome and just you know, tweet at him, let him know you really appreciated his story and, and his uh, willingness to come forward and talk about his experiences. OneTooManyProject.com is where you can follow the rest of the project and listen to the other episodes. O-N-E, the number two, ManyProject.com. There's also a link there to join our newsletter and to get updates on what we're doing, certain events, etc. Thank you for listening. We'll see you tomorrow with my momentary reflections.